Welcome to the Total B podcast featuring me, Authentic Becky. This is the pod about my life, my stories, and all the thoughts floating around in my head. I'm starting this podcast for myself because I want to create a space where I can share my stories for my daughters and everyone else who wants to hear them. I've lived an interesting roller coaster of a life, and I want to preserve it for me and for the future. This is episode one. On this episode, I'll be talking about what I've learned over the last year and how I'm trying to move forward. I also want others to really listen to my story, and if it can make a difference in how you see your life, then it's worth sharing with you. I feel like if I can help one person have less pain, then my pain has been worth it. So to go back from the beginning of, I'm not going to go back to my birth or anything, um, but to kind of understand what what I think about stories and how they come to me. I started writing poems and journaling around the age of eight. I knew that I needed to get my thoughts out. I do not know how I knew that or if anybody told me, but I got a Sanrio diary and I wrote down poems and all the things I thought of in second, third grade. And I've been writing ever since then. I think I'm always writing in my head. I'm always dictating or thinking of a way to, I actually even type in my head, which is so annoying. Um, I don't know if anybody else does that. Reach out. Let me know I'm not insane. Um, But I figure when I'm not here any longer in this life, there will be a podcast or two or 17. There'll be a blog um, with recipes because I never write down recipes and I try to force myself to do it. There will be diaries, journals people can go through, letters that I have kept. My stories will be around for as long as, you know, people want to listen to them. My mom didn't leave me with stories. Or just the ones I could remember. And I don't want to do that to my kids. So I'm sharing the last year with you. Starting off, I don't know how far we'll get. But... I don't want to forget this, even though it's painful, because I know someday I can look back and maybe it'll help me process it. So last, uh, 2021, I had a ablation on my heart for SVT on December 8th. It was very successful. Um, On December 13th. Five days later was the first day of the worst year of my life. My mom had a fall out in front of a dry cleaners near our home. I could hear the sirens before I got the phone call from her. She called and said, don't worry, I'm okay. Those sirens are for me. I fell and they're taking me to the hospital. So, of course, I freak out. I get in my car and I drive, it's right across the street from my house. And her face is out, huge black eye. She's in the gurney. My dad's telling them not to take her. Clearly she needs to go to the ER and they take her. I take my dad and drop him off there. I also am trying to pick my children up at the same time, of course, from school and not scare them. So. My mom stayed in the hospital for, I think, a few weeks. I can't quite remember. They moved her to uh, skilled nursing, and she was there for another, gosh, four to six weeks. I know it was over Christmas. It was a super hard time because 
I was trying to recover <laughs> from my heart procedure. I did have some complications, luckily not too crazy. And I was in charge of putting together Christmas. And my dad kept pressuring me to help my mom and take care of her when I could barely function myself. So it was really difficult. We had an okay Christmas. Um, if I would have known it was her last, that might have made a difference, but it is what it is, right? And then after that, uh, my, da my dad was in and out of the hospital in 2022, 20 times. I'm not kidding. This is an exaggeration. Everybody thinks because I'm animated that I exaggerate. I do not. <laughs> I just am animated. He constantly called 911 to come get him and would be in and out of the hospital for a multitude of reasons. Um, one of them was COVID. He did go in the hospital for that. And then my mom came home. Uh, I don't know. I think like the end of January. I can't really remember. But she could not very, walk very well. Um, they had a walker, so she started having physical therapy, but it was very intermittent and trying to get the insurance to have it be more was ridiculous. This is not going to be a pod episode about insurance, but I'm sure I could fill a couple of those with my frustrations. I'm sure you would. I'm sure you could too, right? So the last year of my mom's life was not supposed to be the last year of her life. She was doing okay. You know, she had her walker, she could get around. Um, she wasn't sick that we knew of. We were so focused also on my dad's sicknesses, all the illnesses that he has and also creates with his mind. He takes a lot of attention away from everybody else. Um, and so that was, I don't know, part of maybe why we didn't see everything that happened with my mom. I'll never know, but that could be it, part of it. Um, in the middle of July, I know that I called 911 because she had been sick and I accidentally, I called her and she accidentally picked up on FaceTime and I could see her barely breathing. It was, I can still see it. And she was out of it. And I was like, mama, you have to go to, I have to call 911. Like, um, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to call and I'll call you back. So I hung up and I called 911 and I called them back and they answered, but didn't know they answered. So I could hear everything that was going on. I couldn't get to their house quick enough. And so they said I was, um, overreacting, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't. Um, so the ambulance gets there. They know our house well, or my parents' house very well. Um, and proceed to, you know, give her some tests and then decide quickly to take her to the hospital. So she was at the hospital where she called me her enemy for calling 911, which I'll take it. Um, my mom and I never had a typical mother-daughter relationship. All the time I grew up watching like movies and, and shows and heard stories about like issues with moms and daughters I just never understood it because my mom and I weren't like that like we didn't get a we didn't you know we weren't the same exact person we had differences of opinions we didn't agree on everything but she just we just weren't like that 
we didn't put each other down or talk about the way we looked or I don't know, all the other crap you see moms do on TV and I guess in real life. My dad was that. My mom was never that for me. So from mid-July through, I guess, mid-August, late August, early September, she had had some sort of virus. They couldn't, the antibiotics were treating it, and then they thought she was fine. You know, they send her home. She's okay. And we're like, is she? Um, tr again, trying to get PT to help her. It's really hard for her. She can't even walk anymore. And then her foot starts to um, change colors. And we're like, this is not okay. Um, people are like, oh, we've seen this before. We'll just change her wounds. She's not diabetic. Everybody asks me that. But it was a wound that wouldn't heal. Um, oh, we'll be, it'll be fine. We have this person. She's great with wound care. Oh, we have to do a vascular procedure. That should clear it up. So long story short, it didn't clear it up. And the, leak, the weeks leading up to her passing were so confusing and so trying and so traumatic. And they basically told her there was a virus in her body that was actually in her leg. And because of her poor circulation, it hadn't killed her yet, basically. So the poor circulation in her leg was keeping her alive to an extent. But in order to try to live, because antibiotics were not working for her, none of them, all of them, they tried all of them. I got an infectious disease opinion. I got every person's opinion that I could think of. I had a friend who was a nurse and she would kind of guide me through it. And I appreciate you, Karen, <laughs> if you listen to this. Um, I had so many people I talked to through this and were so supportive, but nobody could give us any really good answers. So we weren't really prepared. So the only thing they said that could save her life would be amputating her leg from below the knee down. And she said she would do it. And then she said she wouldn't. And then she told us she would. And then she told them she wouldn't. And then the hospital tried to do the operation without letting any of us know that they had scheduled it, including my mom and my brother and I. So my mom said, no, um, I don't know what you're talking about. We, we still don't know what happened there. But it basically came to the fact that she then didn't want to do it. And she said, when we were in the room with the specialist, my brother, my sister-in-law, my aunt, they said do you want to have the surgery? And she said, Grandma Becky wouldn't do it. And they said, we're not asking about Grandma Becky. We're asking about you. And she just shook her head. So that meant she went home on hospice. Interesting thing is, and if you know anything about me, you know that I typically have visions or dreams or people from different energies come to me for me, for other people. Um, I'd had a dream about my great-grandma Becky a few months before my mom passed. And in my dream, she doesn't, she doesn't come to me in my dreams that often. She raised my mom because my mom's mom 
Jenny passed when my mom was four or five years old. Um, so I never knew her, but my great grandma Becky was basically my mom's mom. You know, she raised her, thank God. She was such a wonderful woman. And my grandpa was wonderful as well, but he did have, he did have, then he also had, um, a couple other wives and grandma Rose was not so great to my mom. I don't think, um, or they didn't have that great of a relationship. I shouldn't say she wasn't that great to her. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, grandma Joan, I love, love. She's still in my life. Um, she always took care of me and my family, but in my dream, my great grandma, Becky came to me and she was always kind of a quiet woman, right? So Spanish, quiet, beautiful blue eyes. She stood behind me and put her right hand on my left shoulder. Like, it's okay, I'm here with her. But it wasn't like I'm taking her. It was just like, it's okay, I'm here with her. So I wasn't afraid of those dreams. So now it's the Wednesday that she comes home on hospice. And if you want to listen to kind of the details of that, there's a Chica Chat episode called Hospice and Heartbreak or something like that season two episode. I, I don't know. I'd look it up. Sorry. I don't have the details. Um, she came home on Wednesday. My dad went in for heart surgery Thursday morning. Family came in on Friday. My aunt was already there. Friends came to see my mom that could Saturday was the last time I saw her breathing and alive. She was in a lot of pain though. I made her albondiga soup so she could smell it because she was barely eating by then. Only for Darren and I. My brother. So Saturday, the 1st of October, was the air show. Friday night leading up before that, I had a dream. In my dream... It was me and Elaine. Elaine was my mom's caregiver, one of them, the one that she liked the most. So Elaine and I were in the dream and we went into my parents' house and we couldn't find my mom. And we were looking around for her. We saw that her hospital bed was pushed up against the wall, the windows. And we looked, turned around and my mom was lying on the ground. And we got to her and we picked her up. And then she was walking and she was fine. And she was walking around. And then before I knew it, my husband and daughters were there, my brother and his family, my dad, we were all in the kitchen and we were watching football and we were eating like we would always do. Leading up to my mom's passing, a lot of people gave me a lot of advice. It was very hard to figure out which, what to take and what to listen to and how to manage everything much, you know, while I'm also working and parenting and everything that I have to do. So in this dream, I kept trying to give her this medicine someone had told me she should take. And she kept moving it. And every time I would find it on the table, it'd be somewhere else. I couldn't find it and I couldn't find it and I couldn't find it. I think it was her telling me it wasn't going to work anyway. So October 1st, we go over there, Sienna and I, Kevin came by too because I forgot something, trash bags, I don't even remember. 
he wasn't going to see her that day, but he did. Scarlett wasn't feeling well, so we didn't have her go over. She's saying happy birthday to our friend Peggy, her one of her best friends. Um, so I left and I said, you know, I'll see you later. I didn't know if it would be that day or the next day. I'd go see her in the morning because I would take her little bit, bites of sausage McMuffins or a donut. Something that she really wanted. Um, so we went to the air show, Kevin and I, that day. Met some friends downtown or down on the beach. My friend Jason Curry, Corey Takushi, the Boone Brothers, Craig Harrigan, Philly. Marsha Curry. So we're down there and I just kind of, I didn't know. It's hard when you're losing someone, but you want to see people and you don't know what the fuck to talk about because nobody wants to hear about your parent dying, right? I don't know. So, or what do you say? So I went down into the ocean and a butterfly flew by me at the beach. I don't know if I've ever seen a butterfly fly by me at the beach. And I went into the water and it was so warm and I just stood out there and watched the planes. And if you've never gone to the air show and stood in the water, it's like the best. I mean, it's loud as hell and they scare me, but it just, it felt good. So we were there for a little while and then we started walking back because why take an Uber? It's like up the street. So we're like, we're going to walk back and we're going to get something to eat. I'm still kind of deciding, do I want to go see my mom tonight? I'm not sure. We walk back and we see Craig, who we would just say goodbye to. We see our friend Craig at this restaurant. And we're like going to go up and like say hi, kind of scare him. So we go up because he's by himself. And we, we say, hey, and he's going to get tacos and a margarita. So we're like, you know what? Let's do that. I feel like my mom orchestrated that. She loved Craig. He's my oldest friend since kindergarten. And she's always loved him. So we sat for like an hour and a half and had a margarita or two, not four, but I probably could have. Had some tacos. They were delicious. It was a really good time. And we decided to walk home. So we say goodbye to Craig. We walk home. We get home and the girls were hanging out and I'm just, I'm like, you know what? I, I don't think I'm going to go see my mom tonight. I think she's going to be okay. Like I felt okay. But I also had, oh, I can't remember right now. Oh, I said, if anything, something about two o'clock in the morning. I, I don't know. The, the girls will remember. I can't remember what I said. So I go to bed that night and I wake up at 1.51 a.m. And I look at my phone and there's nothing on it. And I went back to sleep. And I get a text around 2.30 from Elaine. She texts my brother and I. A picture of my mom's wrist and the blood pressure cuff and it doesn't say anything and she says I think your mom is gone and I said I'm coming over so I got up and I drove to the house and I walk in and she's gone And I talked to her and I touched her forehead, which was already cool, but her hands were warm. She didn't look great. I wish I could get that 
picture out of my head and every time now when I see that image of her I try to picture her smiling with the mimosa <laughs> to replace that image because it's very hard so Elaine tells me she was we said goodnight I can't remember, around 12.30 or 1. She was laying next to my mom. And she said, I woke up because someone tapped me on my left shoulder. And I knew it was too quiet. And then I looked at your mom and checked her pulse. So I start calling people and nobody's picking up. I know it's 2.30, 2.45 in the morning, but my brother's not picking up. My sister-in-law's not picking up. My friend's not picking up. My aunt's not picking up. My uncle's not picking up. I call my cousin John in New York City thinking maybe he'd be awake. He's not picking up. The only person that picked up was Ramona, our cousin that came in from Denver. I remember standing outside on the phone with her in shock just talking, feeling kind of numb, you know. We had to wait for the hospice nurse to come and give the time of death, which is not at all accurate. I did later find out my brother woke up at 1.53 and went back to sleep and turned his phone off, which he never does. So we wait for the hospice nurse. They come and give the BS time of death, which was like 3.40 or some shit. I don't know. And then they asked me what I want her clothes to be. She really liked these Brandy Melville pants. So I said those and I didn't know what top. I didn't know what to say. And they said, we're going to clean her up. Do you want to be down here? Or I went upstairs. So I went upstairs and I lied on her side of her bed. Still just in shock. And then I can hear the... Um, washer and dryer, cleaning the sheets and the clothes in her blanket. And it was such a very still moment and I didn't know what to do. Like I was so tired. Like I knew I was supposed to be there and I knew I was supposed to be alone with Elaine because that's the dream. That's what she told me. She told me that's how she was going to go. And she didn't want me there. I knew that. I think Darren and I both knew that. Like, that's why we didn't sleep there every night, because I just, it was too much for me, too. But I just know that she wouldn't have gone with us there. She wanted to leave, and she wanted to leave before my dad got home, and she did. There's more to this story, and I'm sure I'll share it some other episodes but that's how it happened that's how I remember it I know she doesn't want me to remember all the sad parts and the trauma and but I think for me talking about it and writing about it and sharing it and getting it out of my body and my brain Helps just a little bit. 
So I'm going to continue to do that. And I encourage you to do the same if you're comfortable with it. Death and grief are, are happening all around us all the time. I think our culture is really shitty at trying to wrap our heads around it. Nobody likes to talk about it. Yeah, it sucks. But guess what? A lot of stuff sucks and we still have to talk about it. We have to talk about taxes every year and they suck ass. So I think the more we talk about the reality of passing and what that's going to feel like for people and what grief is and and how it's not just for dying. It's for, you know, the end of anything and... I just feel like it's really important that we talk and we share our stories. And if this helps anybody, I'm glad. Um, Let me know. A lot of you have reached out to me to say that my stories do help, even though they're scary for you. And maybe they're making you panic because your parents aren't doing that great or someone you love isn't doing well. And just know that you're not alone, you know. It's going to happen to all of us, and we're going to experience a lot of it, but we can work through it. I'm hopeful. (laughs) I don't know exactly how to do it. I have a really great therapist that I've been seeing for grief since 2020. So that's a good tip. Get a therapist if you can, or just a really great friend, or, I don't know, a religious figure, or... Or a parent that you can talk to. I'm going to end this episode just by saying, share your stories. Your emotions are real. And you are enough.